Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. Each week, a guest and I unpack the weekly Torah portion, known in Hebrew as the Parashah, that section of the five books of Moses that is read in synagogues throughout the world. This week, we are reading the Parashah entitled Bishalach, meaning when he sent It begins in Exodus 13, uh, verse 17, and continues through the middle of chapter 17. Let me give you an overview. Much of the story you will already know, either from uh, social media or from Hollywood movies. Um, Soon after allowing the children of Israel to depart from Egypt, Pharaoh chases them to force their return. And the Israelites find themselves trapped between uh, Pharaoh's army and what is known as in the text as the Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds. God tells Moses to raise his staff over the water. The sea splits to allow the Israelites to pass through and then closes over the pursuing Egyptians. Moses and the children sing a song of praise and gratitude to God, which is led by Miriam, who is called a prophetess, and the women of Israel. In the desert, the people uh, suffer thirst and hunger and repeatedly complain to Moses and Aaron, asking that they return to a life in Egypt um, in which they were well-fed and satiated. God miraculously feeds them sweetens the bitter waters of Marah, and later has Moses bring forth water from a rock by striking it with his well-known staff. He causes manna to rain down from the heavens before dawn every morning, and quails appear in the Israelite camp every evening. The children of Israel are instructed to gather a double portion of manna on Friday, so as none will descend on Shabbat the divinely decreed day of rest. Some disobey and go to gather manna on the seventh day, but find nothing. Aaron preserves a small quantity of manna in a jar as a testimony for God's power for future generations. In Riphidim, the people are attacked by the Amalekites, who are defeated by Moses' prayer, and an army raised by Joshua. Well, you can tell that the stories of this parasha, the, what we call the splitting of the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, and Miriam and the children of Israel singing a song, and Moses striking the rock with his rod for water, and the episode of manna and quail are certainly well known um, in uh, common biblical studies. And with me this morning to unpack some of the more uh, unusual aspects of our parasha is Rabbi Sy Stanway, Rabbi of Temple Beth Miriam in Elberon, New Jersey. 
He has served there since 1998 as senior rabbi. Previously, he served congregations in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, La Cruz's New Mexico. And uh, in addition to leading the congregation, Rabbi Stanway is active in interfaith activities in Monmouth County and the surrounding area of New Jersey, and certainly is active in the extended Jewish community. He is an amateur uh, radio operator and one of the few uh, darshanim, one of the few guests on our show who is a native-born Canadian. Uh, Rabbi Stanway, uh, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Great to be here again. Um, I am excited to speak with you about this parasha and begin to delve into some of the more uh, hidden meanings of this parasha. And so let's begin um, with what the Torah describes as this miraculous um, salvation. Um, The Jews escape from Egypt, find themselves standing on the shore of the sea, and um, they are able to cross over, uh, which leads one to believe if we follow the Hollywood movie of Cecil B. DeMille that the water um, splits into sides and then uh, collapses on the following, the Egyptians were following them. So let's begin. Is this a miracle that the Torah is discussing, or is there another way to understand it? Well, it really depends on who you are and what your perspective is, and also what your priority is. There are plenty of people who believe it literally, that there was this big east wind, and the wind blew, and the sea split. Um, the wind doesn't work that way, but let's go back a little bit. And you correctly identified the uh, mistake in the translation and that everybody thinks that it is the Red Sea. Well, it can't be the Red Sea. The text tells us that the Israelites crossed at Yom Suf, at the Sea of Reeds. What is a Sea of Reeds? The Sea of Reeds is a marsh. It's a place of bulrushes. The Red Sea is in the south. The Torah tells us that they went to Yamsuf, which is at the northern end of the Nile. And the Yamsuf is at the very edge, well, it's the very end of the Nile, um, where the fresh water of the Nile meets the uh, the salt water of the Mediterranean Sea, and it turns into a marsh. It's brackish water. But the interesting thing about it is that all the soil and sediment that comes from the uh, the Nile is dumped into the um, uh, into the marsh, which makes the marsh extremely soft. And so, when the Israelites are uh, uh, right at the edge of the marsh, their immediate reaction is going to be, "How are we going to cross this?" When I was a kid, we used to cross the marsh. Uh, at camp, there was a marsh or a, a, a swamp or something, and we were always terrified. What were we terrified of? We were terrified that we were going to sink into it because it's very soft and it's squishy and you you tend to lose your boots or your shoes. So somewhere in northern Ontario, there are several pairs of my shoes that are still under the ground. And so 
when 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 the when the wind blew and created for them an opening if you will they crossed the sea of reeds and by the time they got to the other side they 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 would say this is this is miraculous the wind came at exactly the right time we got away from pharaoh and why did pharaoh lose his whole army because they're chasing after them probably in full armor and with a chariot and chariots tend to sink in marshes as do soldiers carrying all that equipment so it should not surprise us that the 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 oral tradition which is passed down into the torah is looked upon as a uh, uh you should pardon the expression an honest to god miracle and the miracle is something that you never expect it to happen but that works in your favor so many people will uh survive a tornado for instance and uh, they'll be filming it and they'll put it up on youtube or on facebook and they're filming it and uh the tornado goes right in front of them and immediately afterwards you'll hear something to the effect of it's a miracle we weren't killed or hurt or something like that and so that's the way i see the uh the plagues and that's the way i see uh this uh por- this parasha i see it as something which is interpreted as a miracle because it benefited the people who were telling the story so when you get out of prison um and then there is a and 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 there is a a person who who was able to get you out of prison um uh we call that person a miracle for instance or we call that person an angel and it's all wrapped up in the same religious language and i think the same thing happened here even if we um wonderfully accept your notion that the oral tradition massaged this story <laughs> in order to um conform to what had preceded it namely that in the torah in earlier sections of exodus we have the plagues that don't impact on the israelites which seem like miracles brought by uh, god to in uh, afflict the egyptians and we have the story of aaron's rod turning into a snake and eating the snake of egyptian magicians um miracles uh, are an essential part of um the um narrative of the exodus um if we in your capacity as teacher um marginalize the notion of miracle namely as you said something that is outside the norm of uh nature then how do we take the totality of the redemption of the israelites and take teach it so that it has a divine capacity a divine uh, um aspect to it so that that is of course a challenging question and that's that's going to be the question that every person who is not a fundamentalist or a literalist is going to ultimately have to ask and so how do we present that as rabbis how do we present it as uh, as teachers and Uh, I will tell you what I do although it's not the uh uh the only way to do it. 
um, especially in a liberal religious tradition such as Reform Judaism. In our theology class, there are people who are much more keen to see it as uh, a, a miracle as described in the Torah. But the, uh, um, the, the, the beauty of being in a liberal tradition is that there, there could be a diversity of opinions. So I don't teach this material or any material as um, the, uh, the, the historical truth of what happened any more than I teach the creation of the world, uh, the Genesis story right at the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, as the way the world was created. Um, there is, um, in my mind, a need for interpretation. And I think that when we are looking at the uh, the stories literally, especially the stories of Exodus or Noah or the creation of Adam and Eve or any of these other stories which have in them so-called miraculous natures. But, but whenever we're looking at these stories, we have to step back and we say, how can we understand it with a 21st century uh, uh, perspective? knowing what we know now. I am convinced that the world does not work in the same way that the book of Exodus explains it. I know that the sea does not split. And it seems to me that the text itself, we have to interpret it. Because if, you're, if, if, if you are looking at this literally, then you have to ask yourself the question, if the sea actually splits, the Egyptians certainly would have known that something is going on. And if most of us had seen that, we would have said, nope, we're not going in there. We are turning around. This is way out of our league. There's something else going on. And yet the Egyptians continue into the uh, in, into the uh, uh, the Sea of Reeds. Um, so it's almost like the text is telling us either the Egyptians uh, um, ignored it um, or it didn't happen quite the way it's described. And so when you are uh, walking in uh, um, on, on, on the Rideau Canal, uh, I don't know if you can walk on the Rideau Canal. Uh, in the winter, uh, I think they have skating there. Um, everybody looks at the ice and says, yeah, I think we can skate on it. Um, and you have, a, uh, you have an image of what's going to be happening after you put on your skates and um, go skate on the Rideau Canal. It happened to me when I was growing up in Toronto. We would go down and we would go skating all the time. You have an image of what's going to happen. In the same way, the Egyptians had an image of what was going to happen when they got into the Sea of Reeds. So skating. was their image that they too would be able to cross over and therefore they were um, foolish to um, assume Correct. That they would um, have the same luxury as the Israelites. Correct. Before we leave this story, there are two aspects of it that I'm sure our listeners would be interested in your opinion. <laughs> um, the first is a continuation of the story of the Egyptians. Why do the Egyptians have to die? Even asking that question uh, is opening us for interpretation. 
And the text itself gives us the interpretation. The text itself tells us, and this is where a, a close reading of the text is important. Pharaoh had, up to this point, 10 plagues. At every turn, he, he said, uh, um, well, except for the last plague, but at every, at, at, on the, the first nine plagues, he said, you know, you're not going anywhere. On the 10th plague, he lets people out. He says, fine, you should go, get out of here. I, got, I, I, I want nothing else to do with you. And yet, once again, for the last time, he changes his mind. And the, the, the text is telling us that God gave him all of these chances, uh, but his heart was hardened. Um, we don't need to talk about the, uh, the difficulty with the text where God hardened the heart, because I think that that's a whole other discussion. But his heart was hardened. And after the 10th plague, and he lets the Israelites go, uh, the, 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 uh, the Egyptian army uh, follows the Israelites and gets drowned in the sea. Why? I'm going to interrupt you and read it for our listeners. Okay. This is from Exodus 14. At the morning watch, God looked down upon the Egyptian army from a pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He locked the wheels of their chariots so that they moved forward with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites, for God is fighting for them against Egypt. In the next verse, then God said to Moses, hold out your arm over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. Moses held out his army over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea returned to its normal state. Right. And the Egyptians fled at its approach. The text tells us, as I just indicated, that their wheels were locked and that it was the power of God um, that they saw, and the army uh, indicates it wants to retreat, but Pharaoh urges them forward. Um, and you were suggesting that this is the final uh, display of God's power over Pharaoh. That is precisely the, the way the text wants us to see it. Remember that Pharaoh saw himself as a god. The Egyptian army was his rod, if you will. Therefore, the Egyptian army saw Pharaoh as a god. If Pharaoh says, go forth, I've got this covered, then uh, who are they to doubt it? It was only once that their wheels got stuck that they decided, no, there is a god bigger than Pharaoh. And so what the text is really telling us that this is that this seems to be the moment, the very moment, despite the other 10 uh, uh, plagues, this seems to be the very moment where all of Egypt says that their God is bigger than our God. And when you look at the song of the sea, which follows immediately the um, the exodus uh, from Egypt and the crossing of the Sea of Reeds, there is a line that says, Mi ba'elim Adonai. And the, 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 
it, those of you who know Hebrew will know that it says, who is like you, mi chamocha ba'eli madonai, who is like you among all the gods, O Israel. Um, the story that I read about the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds, occurs in Exodus 14. Mm-hmm. In Exodus 15, the text makes an interesting transition. Rabbi Stanway referred to the Song of the Sea, Shiratayam, and Exodus 15 is not written as a narrative piece of literature, but is in fact written in a poetic form. And it begins, Az Yashir Moshe Ubenei Yisrael et Hashira Azot. Then Moses and the Israelites sang the song to God. And it continues in poetic meter. And Rabbi was referring to this uh, famous line in verse 11. Mi kamocha ba'elim Adonai, mi kamocha nadar ba'kodesh. And so the translation is, who is like you, God, among the celestials, meaning other gods? And who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, working wonders? So, so what you've, what you've got is almost, uh, the, 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 the song of the sea is, is, is a, is it, that, that section anyways, is a sarcastic response to all of the deities that the Egyptians and other people, of course, uh, worship. Yeah, who is like all those deities? Um, and the answer, of course, is no one. Now, there's another interesting thing about the Song of Songs, and you're correct in that you said it is um, uh, in poetic meter, but it's more than just that. In the Torah, the, um, the lines... Um, are justified left, and then the next line is justified right, and justified left, and justified right, and it looks like dry land in the middle of a swamp that that has been affected by the waves. And so you get this visual sense that what we just did, the fact that we were able to cross the, uh, the Sea of Reeds, and and we got across is 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 indeed miraculous. And who says that the miraculous has to be something outside of nature? That's the way most people see it. But miraculous can also be within nature. Um, you know, people talk about uh, when their child is born that it's a miracle, um, and yet. Um, you know, we don't really give it much thought when, you know, when something else is born. But our miracles, when they happen to us, are internalized. And we, we associate these significant events with miracles. And I have absolutely no problem with that. And I know a lot of people don't have any problems uh, with that. The rabbi has so uh, eloquently described how chapter 15 is um, set in both the Torah scroll and in the Hebrew-English Bibles. If you have access to it, you can see how it is uh, displayed, or if you look up chapter 15 on the internet, 
you will get a visual that we can't provide for you on radio. In the time that's left, uh, Rabbi Stanway, I want to ask you two questions. Um, one, we have this Shiratayam, which I read, and it said all the people sang. And that um, song concludes with the following verse. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in hand, and all the women went out um, with her, after her to dance with timbrel, and Miriam uh, chanted for them. So Miriam sang, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and driver he hurled into the sea. We're going to stay away from um, the conversation about um, why the Egyptians um, were not able to survive. And end our chat this morning discussing why is Miriam even brought in at this point? It's a great question. She's called Miriam the prophetess. You know, and your and your listeners will know, that she never prophesied anything. And, and she was featured in this story. So why is she called Miriam the prophetess? And I think the answer is that she was so filled with um, enthusiasm and joy that uh, uh, she she... Uh, she started singing. And what does the word enthusiasm mean? Entheos. God is inside of me. That's where the, the word enthusiasm comes from. It's a Greek word. And so she literally felt so compelled to, uh, uh, to sing that, um, uh, she sang this song according to the Torah. It was recorded and how wonderful uh, it was. And that, and the lesson I get from that is that if it can happen for Miriam, it can also happen for us, can't it? When we become enthusiastic, when we become so involved in our prayer, in our worship, in our acts of tzedakah, of good deeds, that we feel something that is beyond ourselves. In the books dedicated to the prophets, we um, usually read that the prophet hears God speak mm -hmm. or sees God in a vision. And you're mm -hmm. suggesting that we should read this verse um, as an event that took place before the birth, the verse itself. Having seen um, the events, Miriam is infused with the spirit of God. Oh. And that makes her similar to the way the later books of the Jewish uh, canon will speak about prophets. Precisely. The later prophets hear the voice of God. They see the voice of God, a chazon, a vision. Um, they sense God. And who are the prophets? Uh, you know, wh why did these prophets get into uh, the Bible? Because they had great books. And the, the, the writings were terrific. It doesn't mean that there were no other people who prophesied that were. Sure. I uh, mean, we have uh, stories of Elijah and he doesn't get his own book. So we have the story of Miriam. And I guess we should indicate to our listeners that Miriam, which is who is identified as the sister of Moses, um, um, becomes in many ways the first independent character in the Torah text, that all other women um, noted in the text, certainly in the book of Genesis, are identified as wives or concubines. 
Um, and Miriam, it, um, we're not told in the text that she marries and has a family. Um, some Midrashim suggest that. But she's this singular, independent woman who um, comes in and out of the text. Uh, Precisely. And Precisely. so stands out. And I guess in that sense, um, calling her a prophetess also um, changes her status. It does indeed. And, and, and that's why she's, you know, that, that, that's why uh, she is celebrated as, uh, uh, as a woman um, in, in this, uh, b- because of this uh, episode. So my guest this morning has been Rabbi Sai Stanway of Temple Beth Miriam of Elbron, New Jersey. I want to thank him for participating. You've been listening to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. You can find it on the chri.ca website as a podcast or on iTunes as a podcast. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, uh, thanking you for joining us, wishing you a good day and shalom. Shalom.